What's going on? This is the Saturday on South podcast. I am Conor O'Gara. Will, Florida needs a new defensive coordinator and a new offensive line coach. Todd Grantham, John Hevesy, they are both gone. Mike Leach needs a new kicker. Which job of those three are you applying for? Oh, kicker. Easy, man. It's like you just kind of get a free scholarship or at least like the Rodrigo treatment. And, I mean, I definitely wouldn't want to be Mullins DC at this point in time because you know... Whoever he brings in is going to get thrown under the bus. It's like, see, we could have just kept Grantham if we are going to give up 30 points in this game and lose by 10. It's like, okay, man. Being an offensive line coach, I always felt like that would have been kind of a fun job to have. Although now, now that we have more access to film and like the PFF grades and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. you kind of get picked apart a little bit more than if you were just doing this 15 years ago and only very, very few people had access to the all 22. So I would, I would worry about that. I agree with you. I think I'd want to be, I'd want to be the kicker. I don't know that I'd want to be Dan Mullins uh, DC, but I did just kind of, you know, randomly think about a certain Florida grad who may or may not be getting back into coaching, has a passion for you know, for all things defense, was a Broyles Award winner once, was a Broyles Award semifinalist another time. Um, he's available, and if Dan Mullen comes back for 2022, you know, he could give him a call, but a, a certain Gene Chizik might be a little bit interesting. <laughs> There are some Florida fans that just got really mad at me saying that. But I'm just saying, go back, look at the track record. Look what he did at UNC as well. Listen, it's um, better than Muschamp. You guys would rather Shizik than Muschamp. Absolutely. Oh, in a heartbeat. Muschamp isn't taking that Florida DC job. That's not happening. Who knows? Maybe they're never even going to have to interview for that job or there's never going to be a real opening depending on what happens with Dan Mullen. We are not going to be talking about... Florida today because Florida facing Samford. We're not going to dig into that game. We're not going to dig into the Alabama game either because New Mexico State, hey, there's not a whole lot of ways to look at that. But what we are going to dig into today, a little bit of playoff stuff. We're going to talk about all the other week 11 games in the SEC. Wow, what a weird thing to be able to say. And then Joseph Goodman of AL.com. He's got a new book coming out. We are going to talk to him, going to hit on some Bama stuff, going to hit on some Auburn stuff with him. And then our good friend Adam Spencer, resident hoops expert, is going to join us. College basketball season is underway, so great to be able to catch up with Adam and go through some SEC storylines this year. But before we do all of that, Campus Legends. So I don't know if, any, if people have been on social media and seen a certain Tim Tebow even advertising for this, but... This is everywhere now. NFTs have officially come to college football. Campus Legends is launching the first ever officially licensed athlete and school NFT drop. It's going to start by the time people are listening to this. We're recording this on Wednesday. By the time that people are listening to this, it'll have already launched. 2008 National Championship Florida Gator football team all over the NFT game. Campus Legends will be rolling out drops for more schools in the future. But this week, it begins their partnership with the University of Florida Drop has already happened. Again, you can now start buying, selling, trading officially licensed collegiate digital collectibles. Moreover, what's cool about Campus Legends is that the players are along for the ride. Campus Legends is helping current and past players monetize their NIL through this new NFT marketplace. Go to campuslegends.com and click on sign up in order to be ready for the Wednesday drop. Or actually just do it right now. It's, It's already ready. You can go do it, campuslegends.com. That's all you got to do. Get involved in the NFT game for college football. 
Crosswell playoff rankings, they are out. And don't you know it, everything was going just perfectly fine up until the very end. And Joey Galloway made mention of Michigan being ranked ahead of Michigan State. And it was sort of laughed off by David Pollock and, and Herb Street. And they're like, uh, Joey, what, what are you talking about? Why would that happen? He's like, well, they lost to unranked Purdue. And now Purdue oh, is man. in the top 25. <laughs> and then don't you know it, the selection committee decides that a game that happened two weeks ago uh, apparently didn't matter and Michigan is ranked ahead of Michigan State. Take that for what it is. I doubt a whole lot of people really care about that. But it does kind of speak to the theme of the night, which was this was a really boring ranking and all they wanted to do was get us talking a little bit and just kind of give us a little bit of that kind of like three day, oh my gosh, we really don't know what's going on with them. Because everything else was pretty consistent, pretty consistent within the top five. Bama wasn't going to be off, moved off that number two spot. You have Oregon moving up to number three. Ohio State somehow moving into the top four. Somehow. The Oregon, Ohio State. I, yeah, I mean, how? Like, they, they continue to, <laughs> to say that Cincinnati doesn't have a quality win besides Notre Dame. And then I, I heard Gary Barta talk about how Maryland was a quality win. So that's where we're at. It's crazy what happens when you move the ranked teams off of a team's schedule, how they no longer have ranked wins. It's it's wild when that happens. Dude, it's nuts. It is absolutely nuts. Houston's like 17, I think, in the AP poll, and Houston still isn't in the top 25, which hurts Cincinnati, who would theoretically play Houston in the AAC championship. But Cincinnati sitting there at number five. I actually was kind of surprised by that. I thought they would put Michigan State at number five, but losing to Purdue is... Something that they think is just a, a, a big a big demerit for someone's resume? I don't know. We'll be interested to see how that plays out when Ohio State inevitably loses to Purdue this weekend <laughs> and then they get moved back to like number seven or something. We'll see we'll see the selection committee do that. But they're gonna move good above for, Oregon. Right, yeah, yeah. Now is when you move them above Oregon. You just decide that head to head doesn't matter anymore. You know, the teams have changed a lot. You know, they've really improved defensively. They figured some things out. But instead, we're left wondering why in the world anybody is 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 getting upset about this. Because at this point, they're just throwing stuff in the wall. Yep. They're trying to be consistent in some ways and then in other ways, just sort of not. Will, did you have any big takeaway watching what was a very rushed and very, you know what, it made me kind of nervous watching them all the way up, basically in the rafters up there at MSG. I always feel like they can just get them a little bit lower to court level. I don't know why they got to put them up there. That just seems like a mess. They had them next to uh, Jordan Love's family. Um, <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> I, I, I'm glad that you had the exact same takeaway that I did, man. I was like looking at this and I was like, yeah, we're we're two weeks into this, and like you said, it's pretty much an old, new, a whole new committee. You said seven new members, right? I think so. I think it's seven. It's now. it's a lot. It's like we're two weeks into this, and I'm already just like, all right, dude. <laughs> like, like I, I hate to say that or whatever, but it's like you guys just kind of don't know what you're doing, which is fine. Like you said, it's just like all right. Like I, all of my rage was expended week one. Now I'm just like, oh, this is this is who y'all are. Okay, I can't remember Connor. My biggest rule in life is disappointment is rooted in expectations. If I expected these guys to really <laughs> nail this, I would be disappointed. But since week one put us in this situation, Oklahoma is still at eight for whatever reason. <laughs> it's just like, okay, sure, you did exactly what I thought you would, buddy. Good job. Yeah, I, and I am now kind of wondering what it's going to look like for Oklahoma down the stretch. It's pretty much assumed that a one-loss 
Big 12 team or a one-loss ACC team isn't going to get into the field, that's what it feels like if Oklahoma wins out. I don't think you're going to leave out an undefeated Power 5 team, and that would hurt Cincinnati's case. And they, of course, Oklahoma does have a very backloaded schedule. We're going to have some more thoughts, a little teaser for later for lock of the week, more thoughts on Oklahoma in a bit. But it is a very backloaded schedule. And I know a lot of people are wondering about, about Alabama. And some people are looking at Alabama, and um, Dustin Schutte and I have now a wager. He thinks that two-loss Alabama is going to find a way to get into the field. So that would theoretically be, we're assuming that second loss would be in the SEC Championship to Georgia. We're not necessarily assuming it would be to Arkansas or Auburn and then one of those other teams getting in. So we're talking about a two-loss Alabama team that wins the West. So that, that needs to be known. I still don't think that team's getting into the playoff. I just don't. And <laughs> crazy things can happen, but do we really think the first two-loss team is going to be someone who does not win their own, their own conference? Because it's not like they were the Auburn team of 2017 who beat the number one team in the country twice. Mm -hmm. They are searching for quality wins. They have a couple of nice wins. Ole Miss win is, is really solid, but Mississippi State falls out of the top 25 by virtue of losing to Arkansas. And now you're kind of looking around going, well, nobody has that good of a resume. Nobody in that contender group has more than one win against the current AP top 25. Now, Georgia gets the benefit of the doubt by having that second college football playoff win because Arkansas gets into the top 25. First ever top 25 ranking in the playoff poll during the Sam Pittman era. And it's crazy to think about two years ago, Chad Morris was fired this week. Wow. And LSU was on top of the college football world. Arkansas was a 42 and a half point favorite in that football game. LSU was a 22 and a half or 42 and a half point favorite. I can't speak today. And here we are talking about this two years later and how much things have changed for those programs. So that, that was kind of a small little takeaway seeing Arkansas on that number 25 line. But anyway, this is all over the place already and it's going to be a mess down the stretch. So we'll just get ready for it. Yeah. <laughs> That's all you can say. Just, yep. All right, let's move on. Let's, yeah, let's playoff talk. It's exactly, yeah. There's, it's like, there's a quotient of rage we both have for this. This week just isn't worth really any of it, man. Whatever. Let's, <laughs> like, let's talk about actual football. Yeah. Uh, we don't know if the selection committee is actually going to be watching these head-to-head -head games, but, you know, we can just hold out hope that maybe they will. Again, we're skipping New Mexico State, Alabama. Not going to do Samford, Florida. I don't think anybody's going to accuse us of Samford, lacking Florida could Bama be a game now. Florida. Watch it. Uh, you never know. Never say never. Um, if you're Mike Tomlin especially, we will stick with the six games within the league. Let's start with Mississippi State and Auburn. Auburn is a five-and-a-half-point favorite. The over-under I have, 0.5 made field goals for Mississippi State. And that's field goals. We're not talking extra points here. None of that, none of that crap. Mm -hmm. Actual, legit field goals. No word yet on if Mississippi State has its new kicker via the open tryouts that Mike Leach continues to bang the drum for you know what they need they need like down. a like a thick like janikowski looking mississippi boy kicker i feel like the world would be so much better if your kicker's gonna struggle anyway literally just go down to the local like frat house or whatever get the dude be like hey coach Leach says none of y'all can make a field goal and then like the dude who steps up that's who you need to try out because if it's gonna be chaos let it be chaos man those don't grow on trees man they just don't ideally agree 100 percent I've seen those kicking competitions. They're bad. 
The Bears did one after they had the double doink in the playoffs, and it was ugly, man. You see the way that some of these people come out there. And shout out to our friend of the program, Alyssa Lang, who actually learned how to kick from Parker White. Alyssa Lang, a former soccer player, so she's got a little bit of a leg up on the competition, but it's hard. It's not an easy thing to do. Mike Leach, not a believer that it's very hard. Uh, so maybe he will go down to the local frat house of Mississippi State and try and find himself an option there. But I, I'm not sure the Lou Groza Award is being recruited to come to Starkville anytime soon. It's going to be tough for Mike Leach to walk into a kicker's living room and say, I'm going to back you 100%. You're going to be our guy. Not happening anytime soon. I make jokes, but in a game like this, that could actually be significant. Auburn has gone six consecutive quarters without a touchdown. Not great. Now they got to face a tough Mississippi State defense that's probably pretty pissed off with the way that things ended against Arkansas. We respect Zach Arnett on this podcast. We respect the 335. Yes, sir. We also need to respect Will Rogers. He's playing at an all-SEC level right now. I love how comfortable he is in this offense. He's done that in hostile atmospheres as well. So it's not just a home road sort of deal. Played really well at Arkansas and at AM. So I'm not really worried about that on the Mississippi State side. I think Auburn turns this into a smash mouth, ugly game at home. I don't think Mississippi State is bad offensively, but I don't think they get into the offensive rhythm like it. It kind of ha- it's been in the last month or so because lost in the shuffle of that AM game was the fact that Auburn's defense didn't allow an offensive touchdown. And that was a week after Auburn's defense held Ole Miss to about half of its season average. That group, Roger McCreary, Smoke Monday, they can make you pay for mistakes. And I think that's what happens to set up a short field. I'm not saying that's going to be like, you know, four Will Rogers interceptions, but they can separate you from the football. If that's, you know, a tipped pass off receiver's hands, something like that, I feel like happens in this game. I think at home, this is going to benefit Auburn. They're going to get a little bit of turnover luck in this one, and they're going to need it because Mississippi State quietly has a top 15 run defense. There's really no guarantee that Auburn figures things out offensively in this one, but low scoring, Auburn benefits from short fields. The over-under for this one, 49.5. I think I'd actually take the under in this one. I could see Auburn winning like a 24-17 type of football game. Are you out on Auburn right now after what you saw against Texas A&M, or do you think that was kind of a one-off? Never. Auburn has a game or two like that a year. <laughs> Never. I'm holding, holding with the diamond hands, Auburn. I think, yeah, I mean, Mississippi State, we joked about them on the last podcast, how they could be, like, ranked, like, not even, like, barely ranked, but also fighting for a bowl. And, like, that's how the SEC West kind of works. And, yeah, I mean, this is this should be a great game, man. I, I would honestly think that Auburn's defense and the way that they have kind of shown some things, I mean, Honestly, for as putrid as their offense was in the last game, their defense kind of kept them in that one. Um, so one, really good. Yeah, I mean, like, like I said, this is kind of a like a pretty typical Auburn team. They're they're really physical. They're smash mouth on defense. The quarterback is an adventure. Uh, the offense is a little bit weird. So, but yeah, I, I think that this is going to be a very fun game. In that Auburn has the defensive personnel to uh, hopefully you know hang with Mississippi State and and kind of figure out what they're doing. And then on the flip side, I mean. Uh, some games it doesn't take much to hang with Auburn's offensive personnel, but like you said, that that three three five is built kind of to contain someone like Bo Nix who likes to run, you know, laterally. Um, so yeah, I, I think this is going to be a good one. I mean, I feel like you got to take Auburn in the, in the bounce back game here, um, especially with the way that Mississippi State has been so up and down. And and you hit on the kicker thing. I mean, like I hate to just do like that. I've been watching Auburn my whole life, but 
in a Bo Nix game, I can just say a Bo Nix game, special teams is going to be necessary. You know what I'm saying? It's not like even the good Bo Nix games, it's not like they're blowing teams out by 20, 30 points in, in close games. So th- those type of things uh, really do matter, especially in close SEC West games. So, so you, like, yeah. you like Auburn here for those little things, you know? Yeah, and I realized that by putting that final score, I guess I'm taking the over on Mississippi State made field goals. I'm, I'm putting them with one. <laughs> Got to make a kick in this one. Got to. Big game for morale. Have to after getting just dragged nationally the entire week. Mississippi State special teams need to step up this week, or else this will be uh, even more. They're going to get even more public ridicule from Mike Leach. But yes, I think Auburn bounces back, wins, and covers in this football game. Intriguing game in Knoxville. Georgia, 20 and a half point favorite on the road against Tennessee. The over-under I have. One flashback to that 2017 Mizzou-Georgia game. Why do I bring that up, you ask? I bet Georgia fans remember this one. In the first half of that game in Athens, Drew Locke went off. Mm-hmm. He was playing in Josh Heupel's offense. That's why we bring this up. Mizzou was just slinging it all over the place. It was really fun to watch. Georgia was getting gashed the entire first half, and Mizzou looks up at the scoreboard and it's 21 points at the break, which that was a ton for that Georgia defense who hadn't allowed more than 19 in a game all year. And at that point, Georgia's 6-0. and They're number four in the country. You feel like they're the beginning of this magical season. You're like, wow, is this, is this really about to happen to an unranked Mizzou team at home? But then, as is often the case with Josh Heupel offenses, at least in the past, maybe pre-Hendon Hooker era, the, the second half didn't go very well and Georgia rolled. That's the last time that Josh Heupel faced Kirby Smart. That's also basically the exact blueprint that we're sort of waiting to see against this Georgia defense. What does it look like if a quarterback gets a chance to step into some one-on-one throws downfield and really test his Georgia's secondary? And there are Georgia fans who are even admitting, look, haven't really been put in those spots yet. And that's a credit to this Georgia front and the job that they do getting pressure. It's easier said than done against the dogs to do that for obvious reasons, mainly because when you can get home with three or four, your quarterback usually doesn't have that kind of time to let a play develop, or even if he does, he's not throwing to one-on-one coverage. This isn't some single high safety system that Kirby's rolling out. And that's part of the reason why they haven't been beat in that way very much. And Tennessee's offensive line is now faced with the task of protecting Hendon Hooker. Hasn't always been a given this year, as good as he has been. Nobody in the SEC has taken more sacks than our guy. Even as we are we are hen dogs on this podcast. Yes, sir. Hen dogs. We're we're trying that out, at least the working title, until something better comes along. Mm-hmm. You never know. But for now, we are hen dogs. That is enough negativity about Hendon Hooker, though. Just just had to throw the one thing out there. More praise for him because he deserves it. Number two in the country in quarterback rating. And he's number two in the country in yards per attempt with a 21 to 2 TD to INT ratio. Now, how about that? Number two in the country for the hen dog. Crazy. And Grayson McCall, who's ahead of him, is now looking like he might be out for the year. We talked about him last week with Coastal Carolina. Mm -hmm. So, chance maybe to move in if that snap minimum thing comes up with quarterback rating. We'll see. We'll see if that lasts after a, a matchup with the Georgia defense again. Not extremely likely that it happens, but you never know. Also averaging 57 rushing yards a game. And remember, the high sack numbers actually count against his rushing total. So he's rushing even better than that, which is very, very impressive. Bill Martin, Tennessee's SID, he threw this out there, and I was blown away. We know, watching Tennessee play football, that the explosive plays this year 
have been totally different than in the past, right? Like, especially under Pruitt. That, that, they just did not have that home run playability. Like, when Eric Gray has a 90-yard touchdown run, everybody in Knoxville freaks out. Mm-hmm. And it's like all they can talk about for the entire offseason. It's like, oh, my God, like, Eric Gray's coming back. That's the guy that had the 90-yard touchdown, right? <laughs> like, he was really good. Um, <laughs> I joke a little bit. I didn't realize it was this bad. Tennessee is tied for the national lead with five plays of 70-plus yards. That is as many plays of 70-plus yards that the Vols had in the entire Pruitt era. Jeez, man. Three years. It you gets worse. Think too, like in college football, how often there are just coverage busts. Like how often dudes are just running up and down field yep. to just not – mind you, again, that's not like an FBS qualifier, right? It's anybody. No, yeah, yeah. That, that's just anybody. That's, <laughs> so you could be playing anybody. East North Midwest State. And the dude just forget to mm-hmm. cover somebody striking down the field. That's that's sad. Good for Tennessee. They've turned the page on that toxic relationship with McDonald's. This this <laughs> this is even more amazing. From 2013 to 2020, Tennessee had eight plays of 70 yards. That's an average of one a year. Mm-hmm. That's it. And this year alone, again, they have five. So think about that. 2013 to 2020, only eight of those types of plays. And they might get they, they could very well get eight by the end of the year because ah, they might get three against Vandy. We'll kind of wait and see about that. <laughs> My guess in this game is they get zero. I am, however, totally ready for Tennessee to at least hit 14 points. Nobody has done that against Georgia's defense yet this year. I could actually see Tennessee going into the locker room feeling really good, down 21 to 14 at half. Neyland is rocking, and then Georgia kind of does its thing. Defense takes over, adjustments are made, wins maybe like a 31 to 14 type of game. So Tennessee covers, but if you're holding out hope for the upset, 2006 was the last time that Tennessee beat an AP top 10 team. Hmm. Georgia's not just your average AP top 10 team. All right, we know that. We can say that at this point in the season as we head into the second weekend of November. Tennessee did just snap a skid of 11 consecutive losses to ranked teams. But I don't really see that streak coming to an end against this Georgia team with how good they have looked defensively. Never say never. Just not saying that it's likely. Will, how do you see this one playing out? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit on some good points there. You know, mainly talking about the scripted plays. Time of possession for Josh Heupel. Um, You know, that last game was just, I mean, it was, it was, drugs (laughs) drugs <laughs> that, that uh, Kentucky versus Tennessee game where like what was it 13 almost 14 minutes of possession 45 points uh, that's unheard of I mean you can't you can do that against um, Kentucky it's much harder to do that against a team like Georgia I think that um, you know Georgia's defense is obviously based on you know gap control and with those big boys up front and it's a lot harder to get that you know spread run game going against those type of guys um, I will say <clears throat> I'm not totally counting Tennessee out for sure because as we've talked about if there is a weak unit of Georgia's uh, defense, it's their secondary. Um, and, and Hendon Hooker has proven that he has the skills to hit guys deep, to stand in the pocket. He's obviously not scared of getting hit because he's getting hit every other play. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's exactly the type of quarterback you want to play Georgia because the fear of a team like that is so much, you know, so much a high percentage of being in the game. And so, yeah, I, I think that overall, if Heupel can just kind of continue, you know, as we've, as we've looked for all year, continue the momentum as opposed to just kind of shutting off the passes at halftime, going a little bit more conservative, trying to change it up. It's like, all right, you know, 
it's obviously hard to run against this Georgia team, and it's hard to do a little bit of trickeration as well. Florida saw that with a little bit of the screen pass and stuff like that. We talked about that. But, you know, that downfield passing game can work, I think. You know, in this situation, that's what you got to lean on if you got Hendon Hooker. And so if they keep taking shots down the field, that's the way they're going to stay in this game, I think. I don't know. That's a good point, too, about the ability to play against the Georgia defense and not just turtle. Mm-hmm. Will Levis is not afraid to take a hit. I thought Will Levis looked pretty good with fitting the ball into some of those tight windows against Georgia and knowing that he, he's going to take a hit. Yeah. He's going to take a hit from the second level. If it's Nolan Smith, it's Nicobe Dean, Quay Walker, like who, whoever, he's going to, to take a hit. And Hendon Hooker is going to take some hits in this game. And it's all going to be about how he's able to, to kind of manage that and being able to, to not necessarily short arm throws, to be able to, to kind of hang in there and step downfield and step into throws that are downfield. Tennessee fans are probably wondering how their defense is going to come out after being on the field for 99 plays against Kentucky. Is that going to break down in the second half? Are they going to run out of gas? Because they've been pretty good. And I, I like Elante Taylor a lot. I think he's going to have some favorable matchups on the outside if that if that's the way that they want to go with Stetson Bennett in this game, if they want to try and do some of the things that they were doing against Mizzou where they got favorable matchups downfield, they were willing to take those chances. It'll be interesting to see how Tennessee's defense comes out and if they do run out of gas in this one. We would, we would certainly point back to that Kentucky game and all the time that they spent on the field trying to get stops in that one. But it should be good. And there's everybody in college football is going to be keyed in on this game. Mm-hmm. I, sh- I shouldn't say everybody. The contenders in college football are hoping and praying that Tennessee can come up with that blueprint. Come up with the blueprint. Just give us a little something-something. Give us a little bit of a sneak peek into what can put this Georgia defense on its heels because nobody's done that yet. And if we're waiting on Alabama to do that in the SEC championship, even Alabama probably would prefer if Tennessee could get to like 21 points in this one and make them look mortal. Yeah, and if you're Georgia Tennessee, hasn't looked more if you're Tennessee too, you look at your schedule, it's like, well, you got Georgia, South Alabama, and then Bandy. You know, from like an athlete mentality, if you're hitting Hooker, it's like, hey, like, this game is what Ice Bass are for, man. Like, you got two games yeah. after this that you're not going to get hit a lot. You know, yep. if, you're, if, you're, if your O-line is what they should be, you can sit in here and take a couple extra hits and, and, and really try to get that message across. Because Tennessee has already had a great season. You know, it's, they've done way better than we expected them to do. But this is the game where it's like, let's see what this offense can really do. And no one's really predicting, like, an upset. But exactly what you said, if they cover the spread here, I think that's a pound-your-chest moment for Tennessee football considering how dominant Georgia has been and how much more of a runway they've had to build this program than Josh Heifel has in year one. Hopefully that atmosphere is reminiscent to what we saw a few weeks ago, pre-golf ball, vape pen, water bottle throwing. Post-golf ball. I want all the golf ball. (laughs) Ah, Maybe maybe, maybe we leave the golf balls in our pockets. Just kidding. kidding. Connor's just waiting for the, uh, waiting in horror for that clip to get clipped. No, I'm just kidding. Everyone leave your golf balls at home. Do not throw (laughs) golf balls at this Georgia defense because they will find you. (laughs) Yes, they will. Yeah, good luck with that. Ole Miss defense, ah, maybe not so much. Georgia defense, absolutely. Kirby, Kirby's reaction to that would be insane. Do not throw anything at Georgia. It's going to be bad for everybody. Kirby's too fast. He would slip away from that. He would would avoid that. We, We know that speed is next level. South Carolina, Mizzou. Mizzou is a half-point favorite. This game is essentially a coin flip. The over-under that I have is two references to bowl eligibility. Will, let's interrupt the preview portion of today's podcast to play everyone's favorite game, bowl or no bowl. Yes, sir. Great game. It's been a minute. 
It is very similar to ya or na, but different. You see, it's very simple. I'm gonna give you an SEC team, I'll give you the record, the remaining schedule, and then you're simply gonna tell me bull or no bull. I'll also accept ya or na if that's the direction you wanna go. Mm -hmm. Your choice on that one. So let's let's start right here with this game. South Carolina, five and four, need just one win. Need to get one win in these three remaining games, the remaining schedule. At Mizzou, home against Auburn, home against Clemson. So oh. Will, you're one of the Shane Beamer era, bowl or no bowl. Okay, I'm sorry, you said Auburn, Clemson, and Mizzou. Oh my gosh, you, but see, they had such, like they had their game of the year last week. We, if if this Mizzou game was at another point in the season, I could see them beat Mizzou. But playing like that two weeks in a row is so hard, dude. Oh, they got three weeks. I feel like they got to beat one of these teams. I feel like it's got to be bold. They can't they can't go out sad after beating Florida like that. The odds are actually are, are favorable. You're right. They they really are. And I didn't think they'd be when I did South Carolina's crystal ball in the preseason. I had them losing five in a row to end the season. Mm -hmm. Clemson a little bit more beatable still. <laughs> maybe not quite there. It's still going to be a really tough matchup for South Carolina's offense against Clemson's defense, unless all of a sudden Jason Brown is just the world's best quarterback and we just didn't know it. If South Carolina gets to a bowl game, Gamecock fans would be ecstatic. They would be so, so fired up. Getting all those extra practices for a, for, for a team that not only has a first-year head coach, but also just had a ton of roster turnover. That would be a great sign after it looked like a few weeks ago getting to a bowl game was essentially a pipe dream. Nobody would have thought that they would win two November games with the remaining schedule that they had. Like, can you picture how giddy Gamecock fans would be if Shane Beamer, year one, beat Clemson to clinch bowl eligibility? Oh, man. Can you? Oh, Columbia. Oh, that's I'm get, so get to five that points, dog. man. That is like that's like a Disney <laughs> movie right there. That's I mean, Ooh. I, I ironically think, enough, because Clemson, Clemson has the Disney movie out on Disney Plus. Exactly. This would be the inverse <laughs> of that. This would be incredible. I no for real. Like I, I hope they get there before then and they're not sweating it out. But if they don't, I'm gonna be the biggest South Carolina fan in the world for that game because Clemson, Clemson's gotten enough luck in their life. They deserve they deserve some L's this year. That would be so fun to watch. It would. And I, I sort of get chills just, just thinking about that because I, I do know what it would mean to that fan base. But if I'm guessing, I'd lean no bowl. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess that goes right into our next one here because no bowl means that I think Mizzou is going to win this football game on Saturday. And I actually think that's basically like, hey, what's, what's the outlier performance? Wh which one do you believe more? Because Mizzou couldn't stop the run. And then, of course... Then against Georgia, of all teams, they decide we are capable and we can make open field tackles. And they didn't get gashed in the ground game the way that they thought they would. Steve Wilkes' defense maybe figured some things out. And then South Carolina couldn't run the football at all. And then against Florida, of all teams, Marcus Satterfield's offense looked like it had that backfield at full speed. And against a very disinterested Florida team, figured some things out. I think Tyler Beatty in this game takes over, regardless of who Mizzou starts at quarterback in this one, which could be any one of three guys. No no real idea at this point. We'll just kind of wait and see. It's going to be a big Tyler Beatty game, I would expect. So Mizzou, four and five. Remaining schedule, got to win two out of these three. Home against South Carolina, home against Florida, at Arkansas. Will, I ask you, bowl or no bowl? Gosh, okay. 
I mean, this South Carolina game is going to hinge on which one of these teams makes a poll, basically, because... Very much. Yeah, wow. This is a game. Y'all watch this one. Man, that's... Uh, so. Four o'clock kickoff? Is that even possible? Anyway, so, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it, it really just comes down to this game. I mean, I it Florida Florida has a pretty, you'll probably get to them, but they have a pretty favorable schedule to end the year. Um, God, so you said they have to win two of those last three? I'm sorry. Got to win two of those last three. They're sitting oh, there at four and five. Oh, my gosh. Right I, I, I got to say no, man. I mean, considering Arkansas and Florida are, like, reeling and they both need, like, a pick. Okay, first of all, Florida's offense is going to run against Missouri. There's, I, I just, that, if... Fire Dan Mullen that day if they can't run against Mizzou. And then Arkansas, like, same situation. Like, they have a really good OC. So, I don't know. Yeah, I I, I think even if they beat South Carolina, I think winning one of those two other games is going to be really tough. I'm going to say bowl. Okay. I'm going to go – I'm going to say Mizzou wins its next two. Okay. And I – I gave you the path to victory for for South Carolina and why I think Tyler Beatty is the difference in that game – Here's what I come back to, though, with Florida. With how disinterested they looked against South Carolina, you know what, maybe they're, they're going to have those leaders, Zachary Carter, you know, Diabate, and Emory Jones. Maybe, maybe all those guys collectively kind of step up and they do right the ship a little bit down the stretch. We'll wait and see about that. Samford's not really going to give us a whole lot of insight into whether or not that's going to be the case. Mm-hmm. But do you think Florida is going to want to come all the way to Columbia and tackle Tyler Beatty? <laughs> because I don't. I don't at all. I think Tyler Beatty could go off, absolutely dominate that game against Florida, assuming he doesn't get 50 carries in this game against South Carolina, <laughs> which I guess we shouldn't rule that out. But as long as he's healthy, I think Mizzou beats Florida and clinches bowl eligibility ahead of the Arkansas game. Shout out to, oh, I was talking to my neighbor who's a Florida fan the other day. He's like, I don't think we got another win on the schedule. I was like, that was before the South Carolina game. I was like, oh, come on. Like, I don't know, Let's though, do man. It. I really, like, I, I, as much as I'll slander Florida, I got to be fair to them. This rushing offense has been nothing short of prolific, especially against bad teams. Mizzou is a bad team. I, 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 if they, like I said, if they can't run against Mizzou, fire Dan Mullen that day. He's lost the locker room. That should be the ultimate. We talked about it with A&M. This Mizzou team should be the ultimate tune-up game for if you're feeling sorry. Okay, but here's the thing. And Florida, let's just do Florida's right now. Sure. Florida's at four and five. Remaining schedule, home against Samford. So you're essentially saying, are they going to win one of these final two games? Are they going to win at Mizzou, or are they going to win at home against Florida State? <laughs> a lot easier than that's, some of these appeals. That's what this comes down to. What do you say, bowl or no bowl? Um, I'll let you do yours first, because i got to look up how Florida State's doing, honestly. I try to avoid it's, them as much Florida as possible. Florida State's offense is... It's a train wreck. It's, it's, it's very bad. They had they had a nice win against UNC, which UNC's been one of the weirdest teams all year. They go figure that they beat Wake Forest in the shootout. I, I just want Sam Howell to get to the NFL so he can kind of get with an offense that has a little bit more around him, a little bit more talent around him. But um, I think that Florida, I think Florida gets to a bowl because Florida State's pretty sorry. They're pretty sorry. Even though I just told you I think Mizzou beats Florida, Beating Samford and beating Florida State at home. Like, is Florida State really going to go into the swamp in that one? Where maybe maybe even if Florida is is having one of these, like... Because I, I don't think a win-one for Dan Mullen game is left. I really don't. Mm-hmm. I, I told you the other day, I, I don't think this team is playing for their head coach. Could they be playing for a rivalry, though? Could they be playing to help themselves down the stretch and, you know, help themselves for, for whatever their, their next step is, whether that's on Florida's roster next year, whether that's in the NFL. Could that happen? Yeah, 
Absolutely. I, and assuming Anthony Richardson doesn't hurt himself dancing again, he's <laughs> actually able to return for that football game. You know, I think the Gators should be fine against Florida State. I try State. so State hard to back. be nice to this team, but they keep doing goofy things. I'm so sorry. <sighs> Anthony <I'm> Richardson, <laughs> why? Just, why? Just, just why? lie. Dan Wallen's been lying his whole career. Just lie about this one. It's okay. I give you permission to lie in this situation. We won't get mad. And then Anthony Richardson, he tweets out the dance that he got injured on. He sure did, Kyle. What are we doing? He sure did. Oh, anyway, so yeah, looking at this FSU, see, this is the hard hitting analysis I was trying to get to here. Uh, <laughs> FSU gave up 30 points to Clemson and then 28 points. Shout out to our boy, uh, Tim, what's his name, at North Carolina State. Oh, we talked. Wait, at North Carolina State. Oh, Tim Beck. Yes, Tim Beck. they gave yeah, up yeah, yeah. 30 yes. points to Clemson and then 28 points to Tim Beck. So Florida should be yeah. fine here. Not worried about that. Okay. Uh, yeah, Florida, the back end of Florida's schedule is very not scary because, like you said, uh, Samford, not a D- or not a FBS team, and then, obviously, Mizzou and or Florida State, which they could honestly end the season 3-0 and and do the whole, oh, hope. So that that would be the Mullen move is to go 3-0 and to end the year and then be like, all right, uh, self-imposed bowl band, we're out. See you next year. <laughs> all right, last one, Will. I saved this for you. LSU, 4-5. Oh, and Remaining schedule, got to win two of these three. Home against Arkansas, home against Louisiana Monroe. Not a guarantee. Terry, Terry Bowden. <laughs> Terry Bowden is, uh, is, is actually doing some pretty good things in his first year at Louisiana Monroe. Rich Rod, the OC, as yeah. we know. And then you end the season home against A&M. So will bowl or no bowl. Trying to take off the fan glasses here. Okay, so there's two different opinions here. It's either that LSU got better last week or that Bama is sorry. <laughs> like, I truly... If Why can't LSU, it be both? No, if, if, if LSU got better, like, if, if we assume that Alabama is way better than Arkansas and LSU actually got better, this I shouldn't be as scared as I actually am. Again, having watched LSU as much as I have, I don't think they got any better last week. So, like, I... I I don't know, man. I hope really the X factor here is Arkansas because I don't see them beating AM. Yep. Uh, and Arkansas Agreed. is uh, I, still kind of free falling, like we talked about. Now, again, Cocho did beat Arkansas last year with Felipe Franks. People forget. Uh, but at the same time, like, I don't, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I'm going to just go ahead and say no so I'm not disappointed, but it definitely wouldn't shock me. And the funny thing about LSU, quick, quick aside on that, you know, LSU had this crazy bowl streak going back to like 90. Uh, like 96, and they had made all these bowls. That last year, they uh, would have made a bowl, but they self-reported uh, and, and didn't make one. And my whole thing was, oh, well, see, that doesn't count because they made the bowl. They just didn't go to it. No, no. this is They're genuinely in danger of not making a bowl this year. Everything that we LSU fans hold near and dear, Coach O said, all of it on fire. But it's okay because he's already fired. So who cares? I think bowl. I think they get there. <laughs> Let's go, Cutter. <laughs> because you're, you're asking, will they split against... Can, can they can they beat either Arkansas or AM? That's what this comes down to. Preseason, I had them beating AM. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that anymore. Not saying that. Things have fallen apart a little bit, and you're right. How much how much juice does LSU have left in the tank? How much of what we saw against Bama is going to be their identity for the final three games of the regular season? We just don't know. But I do think they have a slight edge against Arkansas. Let's go to that mm-hmm. game. Bowl or no bowl. That was fun though. Arkansas is a two and a half point road favorite in Death Valley. 
as I said earlier, it's crazy to think about how different things are now compared to two years ago, yep. which that's the over under I have one flashback to how different things were in 2019. I do, uh, so I do a Monday spot all year with my guys that hit that line on ESPN Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And they reminded me of that spread for the 2019 Arkansas LSU game being 42, LSU minus 42, and the Hogs covered <laughs> by losing. They lost that game only by 36 points, and they were able to cover in that one. But it, it is crazy to think about Arkansas being favored in this game this year. Mm-hmm. Considering where we thought the direction of both programs were going and how quickly things can change in college football, it's a big opportunity for Arkansas this weekend. It, it really is. I know they clinched bowl eligibility last week in the big win against Mississippi State, but there's a big difference between Memphis in December versus like Tampa or Orlando in December. Just gonna say that, and look, I've got nothing bad to say about Memphis. Love, love Memphis. Mm-hmm. Love my guys, Greg Gasson, Eli Savoy. Been doing a Tuesday segment with those guys for the last three plus years. And I know that they would also agree with me as true Memphis natives. But besides just wanting nicer weather, revenge game for the Hawks. Another close game that they couldn't win last year. Last week was really the first back and forth game that Arkansas won all year, which is significant for a program that is really trying to still learn how to win close football games. Sometimes you make your own luck by selling a holding call like Traylon Burks did, or you channel all the crowd noise you have to rattle Mike Leach's kicker, though I'm not sure if Mississippi State could have made a kick in an empty stadium last week. Want some actual football analysis, Will? Should I get to that? Sure, man. Yeah. (laughs) LSU just held Bama to six rushing yards in Tuscaloosa. Say it again, Connor. What did they do? Six. LSU held Alabama to six rushing yards. The fewest rushing yards in Alabama history. It's crazy to think about that. Nobody could have predicted that in their right mind. The defense has not given up. Damone Clark, he makes every single tackle, leading the country in that category. He's been awesome. I probably haven't given him enough love on this podcast. That dude's still playing his tail off. Jay Ward, still doing what he can in the secondary, despite the fact that he is Fresh Prince in the living room, looking around. Nobody's (laughs) there anymore. That's him, 100%. So I'm not convinced that Arkansas will be a lock to run the football, but here's where I think LSU has an advantage. Okay, so I just said that Jay Ward is looking around the secondary, there's nobody there anymore. Actually, Cordell Flott, your boy, he just walked into the room. Uncle Phil walks into the room. (laughs) He's expected to return this week. What does Flott do well? He guards the slot, Flott in the slot. That's gonna become a thing. I undersold that probably. He does that really, really well. Pro Football Focus has him with a number six coverage grade among power five corners. He played 68% of his snaps in the slot. You know who else plays the majority of his snaps in the slot? A certain Traylon Burks. 76% of his snaps in the slot this year. They will try to move him around. We know Kendall Bryles is not afraid to do that. And he might make some plays in this game. He's still Traylon Burks. He's still one of the best receivers in all of college football. But I expect Flott to shadow him, and if he does, that's really going to put a lot of pressure on those Arkansas pass catchers to get separation, which in theory, you're like, hey, that's what they're there to do. But get this. Remember in the offseason when we talked about Mike Woods transferring to Oklahoma and why it was such a big deal because of how good of a deep threat he was. He was the perfect complement to Traylon Burks. Mm -hmm. We're nine games into this season, and Traylon Burks has three times as many catches, receiving yards, and receiving touchdowns as the next closest Arkansas wideout. That shows up 
in a game like this. Another one of those games in which LSU sort of plays fast and free on defense, and it's pretty low scoring, but give me the Tigers to win as home dogs in this one. Will, am I too optimistic after what we just saw from LSU against Alabama? Um, I Like I said, I think, I think so. I'm just going to go under all year at LSU, so I'm not disappointed. All right, throw that all out the window, what I, I just said. No, I'm not saying you're <laughs> wrong. I'm just saying LSU will find a way to disappoint you, as they have with me for Fair. two years. I think, I, uh, yeah, it's funny enough, I just looked up the line from this game last year. It was actually LSU was favored by a point. Uh, and I remember at that time being like, uh-oh, this might be a, a trap game or whatever. But yeah, no, exactly what you said. This is kind of showing the direction of two different programs. The one the one area, and we talked about this on Sunday, that LSU did make progress is it seems like they've let Durante Jones actually call the defense that he wants to call. That's pretty much the one thing that I think that you can take away from the Bama game from an LSU standpoint is that Coach O was pretty married to like, the inverse of the Matt Canada thing. He was pretty married to this is the front we're going to play, this is the coverage we're going to play, don't change it. In that game, he was like, I'm already fired, do whatever you want. And boy, did it work. Uh, so maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe that works a little bit better against Arkansas. Uh, and, you know, like we talked about, Bryles likes to get guys kind of in open space behind the line of scrimmage. So hopefully, I mean, if, if LSU were to win, that's probably what it would be. Should be a good game, though. Should be really good. Could be back and forth. Could be one of those games that comes down to the final minute or so. Very similar to what we saw last year. And and Not uh, necessarily. Nussmeyer has done the, uh, I'm going to complain to my parents thing, and he might play now. So we might have a two-quarterback system at LSU. If you are sitting there buried on a depth chart, not getting the job you want, not getting the raise you want, wherever you're at in life listening to this podcast, just know that that's always an option. Just complain to your, your parents. parents. Get them involved. That's what they're there for. Your coaches you know? will love you. Yeah. it's Everybody in your workplace is going to think you're great. Just always go to that. Trust me. It'll work. Kentucky's a 21.5 point favorite against Vandy. I'm not going to bring up Vandy attendance numbers again. That was mean. The over-under I have is eight Wandell Robinson catches. He is averaging 7.9 catches per game on the year. He's coming off a game in which he had 13 catches for 166 yards. The Kentucky offense, not necessarily the problem in that loss to Tennessee. Wandell has 34 catches in his last three games, 71 on the year. He's got 10 more catches than any SEC player who isn't in an air raid Mike Leach offense. So, again, we can't necessarily count all those guys. Makai Polk, all right, yeah, you got, you got 71 catches as well, but, like, let's, you know, that's not fair. By the way, I messed this up on last pod. I said that Tennessee had control of second place in the East. That is not true as of right now. Thank you to Carter Logan for pointing that out to me. Kentucky can still win this one and lock up second place in the East. So here's something and why that's significant. As much as we talked about being a letdown few weeks for Kentucky, which it has been, the beauty of starting off 4-0 in conference play is that it essentially means that you're a lock to have a winning record in conference play. The Cats have one winning season in SEC play since the Jimmy Carter administration. That, of course, 2018 magical year. Beat Vandy? Hey, that number doubles. Just like that. Pretty soon, you're just, that's not a thing anymore. People have got that's out of sight, that's out of mind. You're now able to do that on a consistent basis. I know it isn't necessarily going to be considered a better overall season than that 2018 group. And I know we did the comp a few weeks ago about which one would you rather take because I think that this this group is not necessarily going to be sniffing a New Year's Six Bowl. And I, I would make the case that the 2018 group probably deserved to go more than Florida because they had the head to, they had the head-to-head advantage and they had the um, the same exact record. But still, 
it is a testament to what Mark Stoops has done to have this type of year. And I am a believer in the direction of this offense, even if it has had some duds this season. One thing on Wandale, I think he's gone. My guess, even at his size, and and I can't wait for that combine measurement because I look that guy in the eye. <laughs> Buddy, I'm, I'm five eight and a half on a good day. <laughs> Wandale, Wandale's not six feet. Mm-hmm. He's not. He, he's not at he's not at that level. But that, that's okay. In today's Condale, NFL, you can be him. five nine five ten. What'd you say? Condale. <laughs> well, you've had better, man. You've had better. Kyle's about to kick me off this podcast. See y'all. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Well, um, based around that time that I that I spent with Wandell and talking to people about him. He's going to have a market at the next level. But he's also a guy who is very, very into his craft with the route running, and he is a stickler to detail. He is very much focused on getting better as a wide receiver because this is his first year truly in that role. So he could decide at the end of the year, you know what, maybe I need another year to to sort of master this position and really dominate. So that might impact how we talk about Kentucky's offense moving forward. As for this game, big Wandell game, Probably similar to what we saw from Elijah Moore against Vandy last year. Could see him going off in this one. Kentucky, the offense, and the defense. Kind of a get-right game for the defense especially. Vandy gets a backdoor cover. Cats 35, door 17. Will, you got... I know you've just been sitting there chomping at the bit for, for takes on this game, right? No, yeah. I mean, I think Mondale, you know... Probably, probably needs to go pro just based on his production. I think that once once you have that kind of a year, it's like if you don't do the same the thing SEC again too, yeah. for for whatever reason, NFL guys are like, oh, you did that in your sophomore, or your second to last year, whatever it would be for him. Oh yeah, you can't do. It's like it's the dumbest thing in the world. You have guys at the end of the draft just shoot up, and then they have guys who have been productive for years, and then it's just like, nah, you didn't have your best year last, buddy. Get out of here. So yeah, no, yeah. I I think that you know I think he's a good dude, and I think that your your ideas for his motivations are correct, and I think that that's him coming to Kentucky has worked. I'd say way better than he even expected so yeah i mean hey get get your money young man this has been a sensational year for him he's been really really good i i wrote in the offseason i thought he's going to be the <clears throat> the biggest non-quarterback transfer in all of college football and we'll have to do the all transfer team at season's end but he's certainly going to be up there he's going to be in that conversation with what he has meant for the kentucky offense Game of the week in the SEC. College game day is going to be in the house. Texas A&M is a two-and-a-half-point favorite on the road against Ole Miss. The over-under, it is obvious. Two Katy Perry references on college game day. (laughs) We don't know, as of this recording, which is about noon on Wednesday, we don't know who the guest picker is going to be. My gut says it's going to be Eli, but my heart and my soul wants more Katy Perry. We all need more Katy Perry, right? Like... I don't care if it's not Bama. Life was simpler when Katy Perry was drunk and waving corn dogs at us on national television. Let's go back to that time in our lives, right? Mm-hmm. Good for Ole Miss for earning this opportunity to get this stage again, to play in a top 15 matchup in the second weekend of October, home stretch of recruiting. This is big, big weekend for Lane Kiffin in that regard, especially if he's going to be staying at Ole Miss, which, yeah, we'll see. I'm a bit worried about the offense of Ole Miss. The offense that I fell in love with, really, beginning with last year. Because Matt Corral still isn't right yet. Yeah, He's hobbled. 
We saw it in the Liberty game. He's still walking with a limp, and that ankle is just not going to be at 100% the rest of the year. He has pretty much accepted the fact. Going back to that Tennessee game with the 30 carries, he has not been right physically since then. And if I knew that he was going to be at 100%, maybe my outlook for this matchup would be different. Or if I knew that he was going to have time to step into those throws, maybe my, my outlook for this game would be different. But against AM, good luck with that. That is not an easy thing to do. I talk all the time about Leal, PV, Clemens, but nobody has been able to block Tyree Johnson for a month. That guy has been tearing up offensive lines. Him, Tyreek Chappell, Antonio Johnson, Edron Cooper, they have all emerged before our eyes. Antonio Johnson had this play against Auburn where he was coming off the blind side and he timed this blitz perfectly. They don't they send him on like two, maybe three blitzes a game, Mike Elko likes to do. And he timed this so unbelievably well. And the play was blown dead because of a false start. And that may or may not have saved Bo Nix's life. <laughs> I mean, like it was unbelievable the head of steam that he had rushing. Just He was going to be untouched going into Bo Nix's back. And I think Gary even said something about it on the broadcast. Like, he was ready to take his head off. <laughs> yeah, he was. He really, really was. I am worried about Matt Corral's head in this game. <laughs> and his fresh fade maybe getting detached from his body. Oh, no. Because 60 minutes with his AM defense is no joke. It's not. And if he comes out and, and plays really well against this AM defense, that'll be his best game of the year. It really would be. AM's number two in the country in scoring right now, behind only Georgia, averaging less than 14 points per game if you take away the non-offensive touchdowns and safeties, which again, you should always do that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep saying this, but it's true. They are so talented at every level, and it is truly one of the SEC's best defenses in recent memory. This is a tougher defensive test for Matt Corral than Alabama was. I don't care... Don't, don't, and I know Will, Will Anderson's probably better maybe than any individual player on that AM defense, but as a whole, AM is better at, as, as an all-around unit. I know it's probably not a fair comp because Corral was on the road for that game, home for this one, but I think that gives AM the edge to win and cover. Biggest mismatch in this game is going to be either AM's defensive line against Ole Miss's pass protection, or it'll be AM running the football against Ole Miss's front, which may or may not have Sam Williams at 100% after he left the Liberty game with an injury. He's been really good this year. A-Chain and Spiller have been so, so good lately. Very possible both of those guys finish with 1,000-yard seasons. A-Chain would need to average 75 a game in these last four, which includes the bowl game. Spiller might get to, might get to 1,000 yards in this game. He needs 127 more to do that. Awesome matchup. First time we're seeing Kiffin versus Jimbo. Will, what do you think? Winner gets the LSU job? Wow, that would be a great scenario. Um, let me just put a pin in this game really quick uh, because we had talked about this earlier in the year. And at the time, you know, this is when both of these teams were really, you know, fighting for the second place in the SC West. And I had said at the time, uh, this would probably be a good return, gate for, return, gate, return date for Haynes King. So it's looking like he is pretty much more or less out for the year, correct? That's what it feels like at this point. I think he was, he was going through like some warm-ups, but not not necessarily back. He, I mean, he's doing it like in, you know, in sweats or something like that. And I think he's still, if he's not still wearing the boot, he might have just gotten the boot off or mm-hmm. something. So yeah, aka it's you know, I'm not saying he's close to even playing in this game. I was just saying throwback to when we talked about that, and that was kind of seen as a, a jumping-off point for AM's offense. Seems like they kind of got what they got on offense, which, as we've seen, kind of week by week, it's gotten a little bit better. Uh, I mean, when you start with that Colorado game, you really can't get much worse, to be fair. But I, I, I do think that, you know, they're kind of um, 
they're kind of coming into their own, and I think that, you know, that being said, there's nothing scarier than when Calzada has taken the other few scary hits and they're just pulling the 13th man out of the crowd to go play quarterback. That's that's really yep. not the situation Jimbo, you know, hoped he was in. But honestly, you know, as, as crazy it is to say this, mad credit to him for over the course of a season, not really the course of a game, but adjusting his game plan and doing the things that have worked offensively for AM and and honestly getting out of the way for that defense that defense has been lights out like you talked about if not for the presence of a georgia this defense would be getting a lot more love and and i think that exactly what you said in a pairing with matt corral who isn't 100 percent their offense is kind of sputtered with that and and you know going back to what i said about the draft thing with Wandale, you know athletes playing hurt can be the worst thing in the world because everybody wants you to play hurt until you play poorly when yep. you're hurt and then they don't yep. care how hurt you are it's the worst thing in the world to me it's like i mean it, it, we're incentivizing these athletes to just not play hurt because when they do what corral has done and tough it out and you know put the team on their back and play hurt and they don't play well then suddenly it's what's wrong with all this it's like well their quarterback can't walk so <laughs> more, more yeah. or less if you if me and matt corral want a treadmill next to each other right now i can pretty confidently say i would toast him because he can't walk and i'm fat so that's not good you don't want your quarterback to be in that situation so all i'm saying with that credit to him really seriously credit to him for being you know we talked about him being a guy who is who was a little bit immature last year had some turnover problems and this year he has been exactly what that offense is needed to be in different moments in terms of okay well maybe you don't have a hundred percent but don't force the ball maybe you maybe you can't get it done with your arm but get it done with your legs so I, I want to give him a lot of credit while still still saying at the same time that they would probably need a hundred percent of him to be able to dissect this AM defense and they just don't have that you know there's no mercury mercury Aaron Rodgers treatment to give him right now he just needs time I'm picking AM to win this game and I'll pick him to cover I guess two and a half but if Matt Corral in this game, with what we know about his ankle against this AM defense, if he comes out and balls, mm-hmm. I don't want to hear any Matt Corral slander for the next two, three months. Yep. Let's wait until the pre-draft process. And even some of that, I don't, I don't even necessarily want to hear about that either. <laughs> because that would be so unbelievably impressive to come out and do that, given the limitations. They're probably still going to be banged up with the pass catchers. That, to me, would just be ultimate... Wow, like that that kid is just again, he's he's a piece of iron. Mm-hmm. He is a piece of iron. You cannot break him and this is the ultimate. Hey, if you're going to get broken, this game is probably it. So, we'll see. Should be a good one though. Really looking forward to that one in Oxford. Hold on, re- hold on. Restart the season right now. Would you rather have Hendon Hooker or Matt Corral healthy? Oh, Matt Corral healthy. Okay. Definitely Matt Corral healthy. Yeah, I I, I think so. Um I think we saw in that game side by side. Mm-hmm. Even Matt Corral knowing his limitations at the receiver positions and all, and, and realizing what was at stake in that to put his body on the line and to adjust the game plan, that's what I like about him so much, is that he doesn't just win one specific type of game mm-hmm. in his awareness. But you're not going to find Hendon Hooker slander. Right. That's, this is not the just place. Just making sure. Had to do a little check-in. Sorry. We can, yeah. <laughs> we'll do that at the end of the year, though. Like, who would you rather have for 2022 if we find out some of these guys are coming back? Mm-hmm. That'll be a great question to ask because there's so many good quarterbacks who are very likely going to be coming back in the SEC. Lock of the week. Remember this time last week, I was bummed that I missed out on Oregon covering by a point. (laughs) This week, water found its level. Thank you, Coastal Carolina. 19 and a half point favorite, one by 20. Yeah. Tip of the cap to you, sir. We are back to six and five overall. We're making money. Gonna get to seven and five with this one. Oklahoma, I teased this in the beginning. Minus five and a half at Baylor. 
Sooners going to win. They're going to cover. That line is lower because of the Kansas mess. Again, the Kansas that, mess. that played my, into our That's thinking. my band name, the Kansas mess. <laughs> Come on in. Everybody's <laughs> welcome. It'll be a great time. So Caleb Williams, I think, should be able to, to go off in this game. In the three games that he started, the Sooners won by an average of 21.7 points. Dave Aranda's defense going to be a challenge, not necessarily saying that that's going to be a cakewalk for him, but Baylor's also number 82 against the pass. They haven't faced someone who can sling it quite like Caleb Williams. Sooners coming off a of bye week, they've had two weeks of people bashing their lack of quality wins. If there is any chance at style points in this one, I think they're going to go for it as well. Speaking of that, did you see what Joe Moorhead said? I didn't, Connor. He was what asked, did he say? So Joe Moorhead was asked about not kneeling at the end of the Washington game where Oregon was up 10 points and they tried to run a play on the one-yard line. And Moorhead said they absolutely wanted to score. So, Will, you were right. I totally should have sent Moorhead a message two weeks ago and said, <laughs> Joe, look, man, I, I need a two-point conversion to cover my lock of the week. And he definitely would have obliged based on the way that he responded to that question. You're right. Listen, You're it, right, it couldn't have hurt. You could have been like, yo, man, just like, you know, have you seen this line? It looks pretty juicy. Nothing wrong with betting on yourself. Ask Pete Rose. Joe, oh, right there. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Joe Moore had a big fan of points. I think Oklahoma scores a ton of points in this game, wins on the road, covers. All of a sudden, we're talking about Oklahoma. Hey, are they worthy of a top five spot and moving into that conversation? All right. First, we're going to go to my interview with AL.com's Joseph Goodman. We got into a bunch of different things, Bama and Auburn. Uh, Joseph is he's one of those guys who he's also got a new book coming out as well. We got into that. He is someone who, as people on social media may know, he's not afraid to put himself out there. And I think you'll see from this interview, he is not afraid to have some uncomfortable conversations. You don't have to agree with everything that he has to say or anything like that. But just think that he is someone who has been doing this for, for a very long time and understands kind of perspective and tries to at least always put himself out there and definitely always stands by what he believes. So we're going to have the interview with Joseph and then we're going to talk some SEC hoops with our guy Adam Spencer. He is going to get everyone ready for basketball season, which is somehow officially underway. Always, always sneaks up on us. So Joseph first, then Adam. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is AL.com's Joseph Goodman who is the author of the new book, We Want Bama, A Season of Hope. By the time people are listening to this, the book will officially be on sale. Joseph, I think people who see that title or they see that someone wrote a book about another Alabama National Championship, they would say, hey, why is this team different? Tell us why this story was a unique one for you to tell. Oh, man, so many ways. It was, A, 2020 and the pandemic, we're like the biggest news event of our lives as journalists. So just from the get go, uh, it was different from that respect. And then this team was incredible. And Nick Saban called it the ultimate team after the season was over because, you know, they persevered through all the challenges uh, that took place in 2020 with the pandemic uh, you know, they really galvanized themselves before the season even started with uh, their march to the schoolhouse door and fighting for social justice in the summer. And, you know, then they played a schedule which was unprecedented in the history of college football. 
they beat 11 SEC teams and went 13-0. and So, you know, by so many factors and degrees, this was um, just one of the most significant teams in the history of college football. So I felt a duty to the players, uh, to the fans, to the game, um, to, to really, uh, you know, do this team justice and, and put down in words what the season and the year meant. Uh, to so many people. In a lot of ways, I think people are going to look at 2020 sports, whether it's college, whether it's professional, they're going to say, ah, you know, there are so many different things that kind of factored into that. And, and you know what, maybe we can't take that as seriously. There weren't fans in the stands in the same sort of way. And the sport was just different than what we were used to. And, and I would push back on that and say, to me, the people who were able to, to succeed during a time like that when there were so many moving parts, that's kind of the ultimate testament of, of being able, the ultimate testament to be able to, to focus. And you were around that team a bunch, even though it was obviously still during a pandemic, you saw others at the top of the, of the sport who splintered during 2020. In my mind, should, should that maybe have converted the last remaining people who say Bear Bryant is the best college football coach of all time? Should that have converted them to the side of Nick Saban? Well, the, just the, the simple fact and coincidentally that Nick Saban passed Bryant in total national championships in that year uh, was hugely significant for his place historically in history. Yeah, he definitely – edge that ahead of Bryant, you know, when it comes to the greatest of all time, just from the way that he organized that team and uh, just empowered those players um, to become the leaders that they needed to be. I mean, that was a huge defining moment for uh, college football players and Alabama's players. None of them opted out. They decided to all come back, um, you know, Obviously, they still they had the bad taste in their mouths from losing to LSU in 2019 and Auburn uh, at Jordan Hare Stadium, but you know that that all goes out the door when the pandemic hits. But they all went home uh, in the spring of 2020, and then they all reported uh, to Tuscaloosa on May 31st, June 1st in the summer. Um, so that was all about. Devontae Smith, Mac Jones, Najee Harris, Alex Leatherwood, Landon Dickerson, all these guys um, being the leaders that they needed to be and and playing this season uh, that you said, a lot of people were like, well, it, it just not, doesn't mean the same thing. Well, it ended up meaning more, in my opinion. And, and that's what they went and proved, and that's why Nick Saban called it his ultimate team and for the greatest coach of all time to call that to call something his ultimate team now we know nick saban he is he never pronounces things like that or qualifies things or um or compares one thing to the other uh, but it, you know it, it meant a lot to him uh it meant a lot to the state of alabama and <laughs> you know he got covid he got COVID during the middle of the year. You know, it was it was a uh, it was a very emotional time for Nick Saban, and I think you know having that experience and going through that uh, kind of led to that contract extension that that he wanted to put down uh, going into this season. 
it's interesting to look back at some of those things that happened. And I, I don't know if we're going to have a full appreciation of them for a long time. And a lot of people are, are, will just never want to appreciate it because it's Bama, because there is Bama fatigue. And if this had happened earlier in Saban's career, we'd probably be talking about it in a different way than where it was, you know, a guy who at the time is, you know, turned 69 years old last year and doing the things that he did. And nobody needs to, to give that guy praise any more than what's already been given, of course, because he's going to continue to get that. But this year's Bama team is, is in a very, very different spot. And the circumstances around them are, are different, but the product on the field is significantly different. I, I want to talk about this year's group because we no longer use the phrase championship hangover for a program that is as consistently domin dominant as Bama has been. In four of Alabama's first six SEC games, it's been a one-score game in the fourth quarter. We've seen Saban kind of take different approaches publicly to try and light the fire under this team. But is it possible that this Alabama team, even with one loss and still with a path to the playoff, is just maybe a bit more like the 2014 team than any that we've seen in recent memory? They just lost so much. I mean, you know, everyone says, well, Alabama just reloads. And that's just so easy to say. But when you lose guys like Mac Jones, Smitty, uh, Harris, I mean, they were, <laughs> they were three of the top five vote-getters for the Heisman Trophy. And, like, you can make a case that any one of those players should have won the award over the other one. I mean, that's how good that that offense was. So, yeah, they're, they, they, they're, they've taken a step back this year. Um, but – and I tell Alabama fans this all the time. Like, you have to use perspective here. Like, this 2021 is such an extraordinary college football season. There have been so many upsets of top ten teams and top five teams. I mean, you know, who knows what's going to happen from week to week to week. Like, this is, this is like one of the greatest seasons of college football. It's incredible. And Alabama is still right there, even though they lost so much, had to turn over all their assistant coaches. Um, you know, a, a team, a different, you know, a team that maybe isn't so resilient, maybe they lose to LSU um, because we've seen that scenario play out time and time again this season in college football. So, you know, until Alabama uh, – you know, has another shocking upset, and I guess they're out of the national championship picture, you know, they're still right there. Um, there's that fatigue factor that you're talking about, and it's not the same team, um, but it's Alabama. I mean, they're good. That Iron Bowl is going to be something else, though. <laughs> <laughs> Let's leave that analysis right there. It's Alabama. They're good. <laughs> we'll just, we, we, could just, we could just put that at every single lead and every single story after an Alabama game moving forward. <laughs> You know what I love? So Alabama fans are kind of critical of Bryce Young right now because, you know, some of those deep throws against LSU were off the target. He is so good on third down, though. He's been really great on third down. And if you're going to win uh, the SEC, then you got to be good on the money down. And he, he's good under pressure. So, I mean, that's a positive for Alabama coming out of the LSU week. And, you know, the defense really, really showed up in the fourth quarter. Uh, they gave up some big plays that led LSU back into the game. But, you know, that um, strip, that strip sack, I guess, that LSU uh, 
Scott in the fourth quarter, and but Alabama's defense, like, came in and just shut them down. That was a huge moment for that defense, you know, and especially for a team that's still searching, Saban always says, for its own identity. You know, maybe maybe they began this year kind of thinking they were going to be good like uh, the team was last year because everyone was telling them that, you know, but they got punched in the face, obviously, at Texas A&M, and um, they were getting punched in the face again against LSU, but they responded and won the game. This is the year in which you can't necessarily feel bad about a win. And we can sit here and criticize because that's our jobs. And when everybody at the top outside of Georgia feels like, wow, they, they really did not look particularly good, then that's what we're going to do. And the Bryce Young thing, you know, it's interesting. The only thing I wonder about, it's not the poise. It's not the, the, the escapability. It's not the arm talent. It's none of those things are, are really an issue. And he can absolutely win a national championship. He can win a Heisman Trophy. He can do all those things. I do kind of wonder about his body holding up over the course of a 15-game season, given some of the hits that he he takes, and it doesn't even include, you know, the sack numbers don't necessarily show the full story because when he rolls out and he is willing to kind of stand there, set his feet, and throw instead of and instead of potentially throwing on the run and being a little bit off target, he takes those extra hits. And I do kind of wonder what that would look like over the course of a 15-game season if Alabama were to get it. But other than that, that's the only thing with him that if I'm an Alabama fan, I'm truly kind of thinking, thinking twice about. But I want to play a little game with you here. I'll give you six and a half points in Alabama, and I'll take Georgia. How do you feel about your chances in that matchup? Mm, yeah, listen, it's... Yeah, I'll take I'll take it I'll take that bet. I do know this though, kind of to your point about Bryce Young. Um, <laughs> I know he's going to have to get out of the pocket to beat Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> so great point. Yeah, he's not he's not beating Georgia staying in the pocket taking those hits. Like he's going to have to he's going to have to get out and break that defense down. So uh, yeah, I definitely am a little worried about his safety in that game as well because he's not a big quarterback. He did. He took those shots against LSU, though. Man, that one lick, he got rocked, and uh, he got right back up. I don't know if he knew where he was, but, um, <laughs> geez. But, and yeah, that's the thing too. clearly the best team. I mean, yeah, by far, Georgia's the best team. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know when Alabama's been a six-and-a-half-point uh, underdog. Uh, <laughs> I, I'd have to go back and look. I mean, that, that's, you know. But yeah, I guess so. I mean, six and a half points, it seems like a lot, but um, I would take it. I would take that bet for sure. You get a lot of heat from Auburn fans who always point to the fact that you've got an Alabama book coming out as to why you can't possibly be impartial about their team. <laughs> I'm gonna, Joseph, I'm going to give you the floor to say some nice words about Auburn. Yeah, I love Auburn, period, full stop, okay? I mean... <laughs> I mean, what else do you want me to? How how else can I describe? You know, uh, fans are going to be fans. Like that's what they're supposed to do. You know, like that fans on Twitter um, are, you know, come at me because I wrote an, a book uh, about Alabama's 2020 season. Like that's what they're supposed to do. That's what fans. That's how fans are supposed to be. You know, and especially in Alabama. So that's fine. I mean people haven't read the book 
and they're all, and they and they're saying whatever they want to say or making up whatever they want to make up. I mean, it makes no logical sense because you don't know what the book is about. But that's what being a fan is. It's not logical. So, you know, that's fine. Uh, you know, Auburn is such a passionate fan base that you know they um, <laughs> they sometimes get a little too sensitive. Uh, but that's great. That's great for the sport. Um, you know, right now, uh, right now they're living and dying with Bo Nix every week. So I, I feel their pain. Um, <laughs> but he's, he can be, he's proven that he can beat Alabama. Uh, and that happened in 2019. So, um, you know, I, I just don't know if Auburn's going to have a coach after the Iron Bowl. That's, that's, that's my biggest concern <laughs> for Auburn at this point. Okay, so so along those lines, I'll say this: you, you're not necessarily afraid. You're one of those people who's not afraid to write something that uh, upsets a group of people, particularly the the column that you're referencing about Brian Harson not necessarily not revealing his his status with the vaccination and Auburn having a requirement for for the vaccination and and this deadline that that some people. Are, have talked about a lot with with their head coach and whether or not he's going to be able to to kind of get through that, or if we're going to have a Washington State situation. It's like you, you've written about that, and you're you know you're one of those people that's not necessarily afraid to upset certain people. And I think that's that's one of the hard things about this job, right? One of the hard things about this job that I've had to learn is you can't always be thinking about oh, in the back of my mind, will this important person think something differently of me if I fire off this column or this tweet, I still come back to the belief of like, hey, we've all got jobs to do, myself included. I can't let power or influence that someone else has from their job impact my ability to do my job. I, I got to imagine maybe it's that column or, or, or others, but you've probably gotten some pretty stern responses to columns from important people at Alabama or Auburn. Do you have any particular <laughs> story that stands out? I mean, other than people trying to get me fired? <laughs> uh, other than all the, like, all the hate mail and threats? No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I mean, that's the job, okay? And I, there are, I think there are enough level-headed people, okay, when you get through all the noise who understand that the job of a columnist is to write those difficult truths and come at things from uh, perspectives that are going to make people think about things in a way that maybe they hadn't before. So, you know, I take my job as a columnist very seriously. Um, you know, I've been a journalist for um, like 23 years now, you know. So it, it's like what I've always wanted to do was be a columnist for uh, a, a newspaper. You know, I'm, I'm like one of the old school guys uh, in that respect. So. Um, you know, to me, being the job of a columnist is uh, one of the most important jobs at the newspaper. And, you know, it, at the end of the day, uh, watchdog journalism is the number one tenet of journalism. Uh, it's written in the Constitution, uh, the freedom of speech and holding truth to power. So I take that very seriously. And, yeah, people are not going to like that. That's fine. But. Um, I think enough people understand that that's my job that, uh, you know, that, that they appreciate what I do. Media criticism, I think, is an interesting subject 
with college football in the state of Alabama, and I've talked with Gene Chizik about this a ton and about how he would be so different now knowing knowing from the other side the role that media plays in the job of a head coach and knowing that not everybody is like particularly out to get you and he he has told me so so many times that he would just treat media differently and he would recognize kind of the relationship that that needs to to be had there and I think Nick Saban understands that incredibly well I I think that it would surprise people to learn that Gus Malzahn was actually more sensitive to media criticism than Saban, at least from my experience. And I think it's still probably too early to decide one way or the other on Brian Harson. Part of that is because the guy never says anything about uh, much of anything. It's pretty much all coaching cliches and filler. Uh, I recently heard a story about Gus's sensitivity to something about his scheme that just blew me away. And it was from someone who played in the SEC and actually understands the nuances of offenses. And I always wonder with that Auburn job if it just turns people into a different version of themselves and we as the media see that happening before our eyes. Did Gus ever call you out for something that you wrote about him? Uh, yeah, indirectly. Um, definitely that happened in the beginning uh, when I first started to, when they first gave me the column. But, you know, after I established the way that I was going to be a columnist and what I was going to write about and, you know, just um, not really holding anything back for anybody that went away. Like, you know, so um, I was always fair to Gus Melzahn, though, and even to the point where Auburn fans would get mad at me for giving him uh, the benefit of the doubt too often. And I like, I, I mean, Auburn fans, this is going to blow their minds, but I like uh, Harrison, you know. I think he's a good fit for Auburn. He's a maverick, okay? He's gonna he's not gonna listen to anybody, he's gonna do his own thing. He's obviously a very strong willed, uh, tough minded personality. Like these are all the characteristics. Like if you had to find an Auburn coach to compete in this like hellish blender of intensity that is Auburn football all the time between Georgia and Alabama, like he would check the boxes, okay? But for unfortunately we have this thing right now uh this mandate by the federal government for all university employees or whatever or contractors to get the vaccine or, or risk termination and so like it's news like it is major news that this guy won't say whether he's vaccinated or not uh there's so much money invested into Auburn football that for them to still be teetering on, like, are we going to have our coach after December the 8th? I mean, it's just a potential major tragedy that is Auburn football is facing right now. So uh, to ignore that, obviously that would be, not be me doing my job. So, you know, people don't want to talk about it. People want to deflect, and that's fine because, like I said, you know, fans are supposed to be fans. Like, that's their role, uh, and that's what they do. But – um, also, we have to consider reality, and reality is like millions and millions of dollars have been invested in Harson and his staff, and if he gives it all away, and dear God, I hope that's not the case, um, then where's, what's Auburn supposed to do then? Uh, so, yeah, major problem. One of the questions <laughs> I was asked throughout the coaching search process to, to get Brian Arson was a pretty simple one. I, I want to ask this to you. How should Auburn define success in this league? 
Uh, you know, I was always I, – I, I mean, to begin with, I thought Malzahn – uh, was a good coach, okay? He was not the greatest coach, uh, but he was not the greatest recruiter either, but he was extremely smart, and he beat Alabama more times than anyone else, I guess, except for Clemson. So just that in and of itself proves that he was a good coach. Uh, it wasn't good enough, okay? And – they have a new. They had a new athletic director who was hired from the outside to change the culture, and he set about bringing in a football coach from the outside to change the culture. And they're going to need to give. They're going to need to give the football coach time at Auburn. Like, let's just be real. Like, if you want to turn Auburn into, uh, a, and this is what. This is what Harson has said. He wants to turn Auburn into a consistent uh, champion that competes for championships year in and year out. He's always said that. So to do that, it's going to take major gains, okay, uh, like flipping the script type uh, transitional movements in the recruiting uh, in the re- recruiting game to make that happen. Oh, they're not there right now, obviously. I think they're what thirteenth in the in the in the recruiting rankings or something. You know, I don't know, but Auburn, geographically, where they're located, here's the thing about Auburn. Like, every single year, no matter what, I don't care who the coach is, uh, like me or you, okay? Like, every single year, Auburn should have an elite defense just based on where they are geographically, uh, you know, on the border with Georgia, and they can recruit Florida and Atlanta and Alabama. Like, they should always be – they should always have an elite defense that allows them to, to be in games. Like, start there at the, at the bottom. Like that's why Auburn is, is always consistently good. Other than the fact that they have enormous support and a huge budget. So then you just go from there and Harson is the guy, he's the quarterback guru guy. Okay. Like he's been able to develop quarterbacks. Like that is why he was hired. Um, so, you know, just give this guy time. I would say um, if he's still the coach after December 8th, um, but that's a completely whole different ball of wax. But yeah, no, I don't think that I don't think that the expectations are too high at Auburn. I, I think that's what um, makes Auburn great in everything that they do, and I think that's what they need to. That that's kind of the motivation that, and that they need to have to compete with Alabama because, you know, you can't be you can't just settle for being average and expect to compete with Alabama. So. It's a yin and yang in the state of Alabama. It always has been, and, you know, they just push each other to be greater. I'll, I'll go on record and say that uh, I think we avoid another Washington State situation. I'll, I'll, just, I'll, I'll, I'll be the, the opposite side of the argument on that. And I know I, I get why that, that question is, is one that, that you've asked and that you've, you've thrown out there, um, but it is going to be, I think, interesting times ahead for Brian Harson, not just related to, to that, but how he takes that next step. As you talk about, Auburn isn't changing unless that element changes. I saw something about the recruiting spending and how Georgia is like spending three or four times as much as Auburn from a recruiting perspective. It's like, well, then why do you, why do you, why do you wonder why the, the roster talent is kind of where it is at this point? We've seen Auburn in some of these big time games away from Jordan Hare struggle. They get Alabama at home this year in the Iron Bowl. What percent chance would you give Auburn to 
beat Alabama for the third consecutive time at Jordan-Hare? 35%. 40. 35 to 40%? I don't know. I don't do like percentages. um... (laughs) I like that. That's good. good. Yeah, they're going to have a good shot. I mean, they'll have a good shot. And, you know, the Iron Bowl is different when it's a Jordan-Hare stadium. Yeah. Uh, Like, Jordan-Hare stadium – is its own like living insane beastly thing, okay? And it's there are so few places in college football that are like that place, and it's hard to win there, um, unless of course you're Georgia this year. But yeah, Auburn's going to be right there. They got a chance. They they um, they're not going to give up on their coach. I, I you know I know that. And to your point about the uh, him being the coach after December eighth, yeah. I think he is also going – I mean, I, I just can't wrap my brain around him giving that all the way. So, you know, I'm going to remain hopeful that he is uh, either vaccinated or going to be vaccinated before then. I mean, based on the timeline, December 8th, and when he was infected with COVID-19, uh, it, you know, the timeline works out to where he's, he'll have a chance to get the vaccine um, before the deadline, you know. So, Tommy Tuberville – uh, who's a senator of Alabama, was asked recently about it, you know, and he said that he's hopeful that Brian Harson will make the right decision uh, for Auburn. And so I'm going to remain hopeful as well. <laughs> Didn't think we'd get a Tommy Tuberville reference on today's podcast, but here we are, I guess. <laughs> Uh, last question for you, man. Uh, and we'll tie it all back to the book, which again is out in stores by the time that people are listening to this. Ballpark this in any way that you want. When will be the next time when it's actually appropriate for a college football fan base to say the words, we want Bama? Oh, this, they said it this year. Yeah, like they, <laughs> But it wasn't appropriate. That's my point. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Like, you mean like when is Alabama going to return to its like uh, mythical, just you know, grind everyone into dust in status? Like, I guess that's uh, going to be in next season. You know, probably. I, I don't unless something happens between now and then. Uh, I think Al- Alabama is going to be in fighting for wins and struggle wins every week. Like. You know, they, CBS didn't put Arkansas, Alabama in prime time for any reason. It's because Alabama can be upset by Arkansas. Uh, and it's going to be the same thing in the Iron Bowl. And so, yeah. But at the end of the day, like, Alabama remains the standard. Even though Georgia hasn't beaten them. So, uh, Alabama is the dynasty of dynasties over the past 12 years. And yeah, everything still goes through them, even though uh, they're, they're making games interesting now in the fourth quarter. <laughs> <laughs> Joseph, really appreciate the time, man. Best of luck with the book and everything you've got going to, to promote it. We'll do this again real soon. Okay, thanks, man. I had a lot of fun. All right, let's talk some SEC hoops. No better person to do that with than our resident hoops expert at SDS, Adam Spencer. Adam, first question is an obvious one. Kentucky Duke in the Champions Classic was Tuesday night, which meant it kicked off the official start of the Coach K retirement tour. And more importantly, 
the gift giving tour, what would you give Coach K? Because personally, I'd go with like, I don't know, maybe a stern handshake and then maybe talk about sportsmanship to him because that's the gift that he's been giving everyone forever. What direction would you go? Oh, I wouldn't give him anything. I'd give him a a swift pat on the rear maybe as he was walking away, (laughs) hopefully after my team won the game. Yeah, and (laughs) I just can't get over it just how much we – revere these guys not just him but you know whenever anybody goes on these retirement tours and they all get these gifts and stuff it just seems a little self-serving to me um I, I i don't know i don't know how to feel about it i'm already sick of the coach k retirement tour and it's only been one game and it didn't i didn't even make it to halftime of last night's game before i was sick of it already so you know it's just it, it is what it is because i mean he has done a lot for college basketball but these past years you know he's been asking that student journalist, like, what's your major? And then, you know, and then like screaming at the student section to shut up, shut up. Whenever they were actually like cheer, whenever they were like actually cheering coach Jeff Capel from Pitt, because he thought that they were, he's like, they're one of, he's one of our own. And it's like, no, they were like saying like a, like a good thing about him. <laughs> like, I don't know. I just, I think he's, overdue for retirement but i think that there's a lot of guys like that uh jim bay i'm uh, i know that they made a run in the tournament last year but i mean he's getting really up there in age and uh, it just seems like there's a lot of really old coaches in the acc who aren't quite what they used to be so i don't know if that's going to be an interesting uh storyline to monitor here especially you know bayheim and coach k's last uh last couple games against one another because i kind of feel like uh you know they they respect each other. They won a couple championships with with uh, Team USA together. But uh, I, I can't help but think like when they hug each other, it's got to be like that uh, Michael Jordan and Larry Bird meeting in the Last Dance. I'm sure you <laughs> know what I'm talking about there. I love that you slipped in a little Coach K imitation too. That was pretty good. I, I I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say that you're gonna have to bring that one back. Whenever you talk about Coach K, if you're doing any sort of radio spot, just slip that little. It's it's a nice little dig. I think that's your gift to Coach K right there. <laughs> a, a, a nice uh, impression of him. Yeah. Okay. That's that's a good one. I can do that. Thank you for all you've done, yeah. Coach K. <laughs> We've got a few questions from from the listeners, but since we're sort of on the subject of Kentucky, Adam, I saw that you didn't have the Cats in your Final Four. Different sort of team for Cal, loaded with transfers. It's not just the freshman show. Though I feel like we've been saying that for the last couple years about his team. That's kind of the new new way in college basketball. What's your outlook on the Cats this year? Yeah, I had uh, Kentucky in my Final Four last year, and uh, that did not work out so well for me. So uh, maybe it's a little bit of uh, of PTSD from that one. But uh, I do like this year's team much more than I did last year's team once I started to see last year's team play. Uh, and last night, you know, Severe Wheeler and uh, and Oscar Shibway, man, I mean, those guys looked great together. They had a nice two-man game going. They were, uh, you know, they were, all, they were all over the court and, uh, you know, Shibway, grabbed I think like every single rebound that Kentucky had and uh you know he was all over the offensive glass too which is always nice to see uh Severe Wheeler was dishing out dimes like he did at Georgia you know the the, the one problem with that is like is once Kentucky or once Duke figured out like it, it's pretty easy to uh 
to sort of limit what Severe Wheeler does because, you know, he also had like five or six shots blocked last night because he's 5'9". And once he gets into the weeds there in the paint, his only move is to dish it out to a shooter. So if you just don't collapse on him, uh, then you force him to shoot and he's so much smaller than everyone else that you can generally block his shot. Now, he's a good finisher at the rim. He's just small. So if you have a, some size, then you can you can easily like uh, you know throw him off of his game. But when he has Shibwe right there next to him and he can throw these nice wraparound passes and get the ball to him, you know, that's a that's a dynamic duo there. And then you've got some actual shooters uh out on the perimeter. You know, Kellen Grady, I think he got off to a bit of a slow start last night, but uh he's gonna be good. Um and then you have the the wild card of uh of Ty Ty Washington, who I think is going like he he had a rough night last night, but uh, you know that's a tough game for a true freshman to come into against a pretty uh, talented and uh, deep Duke team. Uh, you know, and Calipari even at halftime he said he said, look, like don't blame Ty Ty for the shots he's taking. Like I told him, go make plays, go be aggressive. He he wants that alpha dog mentality in in Ty Ty because Ty Ty is going to be the guy, and uh, you know that's what. Coach K or Coach Cal teams have always had. They've always had a go-to guy when they've been successful. So, uh, you know, I, I I am higher on this team moving forward after this uh, after this big. I mean, it was a loss, but uh, you know, they looked much better than last year's team in this performance against Duke. So maybe not Final Four worthy, but I think that they'll be dangerous come tournament time. Michael Dark from the Facebook group wants to know, does Tom Crean make it through the season? And piggybacking off of that, Emery Picker, also a Georgia fan, wants to know if there is any reason to have hope for Georgia this season. I'll answer that first one, or that second one first. No, there's no reason to have any hope for Georgia. This is a team that I think is going to finish dead last in the SEC. I mean, I like Aaron Cook, uh, so I guess that uh, is something that you can look forward to. Um the Gonzaga transfer, he's going to be, like, he's not going to be as good as Severe Wheeler, but he's going to be fun to watch. But this team just, especially once PJ Horn went down with an injury, like that was like their one real returning piece. And uh, yeah, I, I just, that's, that's a tough loss to overcome. And uh, there's just not an SEC level of talent on this team, especially as the rest of the league continues to get deeper. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think that there's much hope for Georgia this year. As for Tom Crean, I mean, his biggest hope is that the Georgia football team keeps playing into mid into early January there. And, uh, you know, if they win a national championship, then, uh, you know, maybe everybody just kind of forgets about basketball season and uh, and lets it ride with the, with the football title. But uh, it, the more attention that's paid to the program, the worse it's going to be for Crean because, you know, like I said, this is a last-place team in the SEC and uh, not much talent in those cupboards there. So uh, it, 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 if anybody pays attention, Crean could be gone at the end of the year. It's been 10 years since I covered Crean back when I was a senior at Indiana. And that, that's, uh, that year was basically one of, I don't know, like two times in the last decade plus that he had a team that actually rose above preseason expectations. But I guess the good news for him is that the bar really cannot be any lower for him this year. Is, is that fair to say, like, does Crean save his job if he finishes like 11th in the SEC this year? 
Yeah, I mean, I think if to finish 11th in the SEC would be a Herculean effort for him. So, uh, yeah, I, mean, I think that would definitely be a good coaching job if he can do that. Um, so, I, yeah, I think I, I just think, you know, I heard somebody else talking about this the other day, but, you know, he, he tends to go places and bring in, like, one-star recruit that you can point to. Um, you know, so he's brought in Anthony Edwards. You know, he brought in uh, Oladipo at Indiana. Um, so, you know, he uh, – He's he's done his part at Georgia and now like, it, but like when you have that momentum when you bring in an Anthony Edwards like that is supposed to keep the good players coming and uh, you know this last recruiting class was not great they lost all their talent to the transfer portal except for PJ Horn and then he went down with an injury and so yeah I, I just I, I don't know what's going on in Georgia but with no talent on that roster even getting to 11th would be just like honestly if if, if Georgia finishes 11th in the conference then he sh- he should honestly be in the coach of the year conversation gosh yeah and and Dwayne Wade too that's his other one like you can't spend Dwayne Wade if you spend yep. f- like five minutes talking to Kareem and he doesn't bring up Dwayne Wade like check and make sure that's actually Tom Green because Chances are it's probably not. It's an impersonator. Like he just can't help himself to bring him up all the time. Um, Jeff Jensen wants to know with Scotty Pippen Jr. returning and adding Liam Robbins from the transfer portal, what's the outlook for Vanderbilt? Can they make a run and possibly end the NCAA tournament drought? Adam, I didn't realize that Vandy hasn't been to the tourney since 2017, and it'll be 10 years this spring since Vandy last won an NCAA tournament game. Yeah, I mean, uh, I. I think Vanderbilt's going to be better this year. Um, I just like, but like what does better mean for a team that has been, you know, last in the league uh, a lot of these last years, uh, you know, I had them at 11th in my preseason power rankings. And like, that was pretty high for most of what I saw. Um, you know, I, I really love Scotty Pippen. Um, you know, I, I just I think that there's not the talent around him, like losing Dylan Dissu to Texas really hurts this team. Uh, and, you know, it, it's all about staying healthy for Vanderbilt too, because, you know, you look at, they've brought in good players. Like they've, a lot of their players are in the NBA right now. Like, but Darius Garland, like he came, he played like seven games before he got hurt. Uh, you know, Aaron Neesmith, the year that he really broke out and became a star, he got hurt. Um, you know, then you have, uh, Dylan Dissu last year missed some time with injuries and COVID and stuff like that, that just plagued everybody. Um, but you know, that the, the Commodores have just been really unlucky with their star players, uh, not being able to suit up for all the games that they have. Uh, Scotty Pippen was the exception last year. Um, we'll see if he can do it again this year. I think he's going to have a heck of a year. I'm just concerned with the talent around him, but I, I still think, I still think that this is going to be a better Vanderbilt team. Like we're not going to be talking about like, Oh man, can they win an SEC game at all? I think that they're going to finish 11. They'll beat up on teams like, uh, like Georgia. They'll, they'll get some wins against South Carolina, Texas A&M, uh, you know, probably my Missouri Tigers. Um, so yeah, I think that they're going to be a dangerous team that can go toe to toe and, uh, you know, climb up to that 10, 11 range in the final standings. But no, I don't think that's going to be enough to get a. Sorry, I don't. I don't think that's going to be enough to get him to the NCAA tournament, though. Yeah, and that that would be something that I think Jerry Stackhouse would love to be able to have in his back pocket. Great question from Hunter Raglan. 
He wants to know if the SEC has a Final Four team this year. Adam, you believe that's Alabama, correct? Yeah, I have Alabama in there. You know, I think that uh, there's a handful of teams that'll be dangerous in uh, come come tournament time. I think uh, you know Alabama. I'd be shocked if Alabama, Auburn, uh, Tennessee, Kentucky, Mississippi State, and Arkansas didn't make the tournament. So there's six teams there. You know, I, I also think you know. Florida and LSU will be right on that borderline. Um, but I, I think that, uh, you know, Alabama is dangerous because of the way that they play. You know, Nate Oates is, uh, he tries to eliminate bad shots. Um, sounds simple, but, uh, you know, even the other night, opening night, you see all these teams like launching these just low percentage two point shots. And it's just like that, if that's the best that you can get, offensively after 30 seconds then your offense is terrible and you know Kentucky was doing it uh you know Missouri was doing it Arkansas was doing it at times uh you know so but NATO's teams don't really do that they get to the paint or they shoot a three and uh you know that's that's a great strategy to have in today's NBA or in today's NBA yes but in today's college basketball too um and you know he has the talent to do that uh you know, J.D. Davison, look, he showed flashes of brilliance. Uh, you know, J- Jaden Shackelford, he needs to take a huge step forward. And, uh, you know, he had 17 points uh, last night. And uh, and Keon Ellis had 18. Uh, Keon Ellis, if he can sort of step up and take that Josh Primo role, then uh, then Alabama's going to be fine. And, I just, I, you know, they, they played really tight against, uh, I think it was UCLA last year in the tournament before they bowed out. So, I just think that uh, this Alabama team continues to have a lot of promise. And uh, if the shots are falling, they can really make a deep run. So, yeah, I have them going to the Final Four this year after after coming up a couple games short last year. Um, but I also think, you know, Kentucky could round into shape by then. I think Auburn is a really dangerous team, especially if and when they get Allen Flanagan back. Um, and so I, I think that there are a number of teams that can challenge for that final four spot from the SEC, but uh, I just have Alabama as the best of the bunch right now, and uh, and we'll see if that plays out. You didn't bring up Arkansas there. Um, I, I know you're not quite as high on the Hogs this year as some others are. Is it the the roster turnover or the fact that for whatever reason, they're, they're in this this was even a thing last year too, and I know because I jumped all over the must bus, but they're down 10 every first half pretty much like no matter who it's against. So like, is, is that the reason? Like, you just don't want to find yourself invested into Arkansas knowing that the roller coaster's coming? Yeah, I mean, it's partially that. Um, and then it's also just partially that, you know, Arkansas fans have acted like losing guys like Jalen Tate and Moses Moody and Justin Smith just doesn't matter. <laughs> like they were mad at me for ranking Arkansas fifth in my preseason power rankings. It's like, okay, but like there's no lottery pick on this team. There's no uh, dominant big man the way that there was, uh, you know, last year with Justin Smith, uh, you know, Jalen Williams is going to be um, a key player to watch, um, but he's just not at that level yet, maybe in an, another year. Uh, but you know they're they're counting on Musk just bringing in all these um, all these guys from the transfer portal and having them fit in seamlessly. And uh, you know it's tough to replace a guy like Moody. Moody was a freshman; he wasn't a transfer, and uh, you know he was an all-time uh, you know great freshman for the Hogs. Um, and you know now he's contributing in the NBA already. So you know he, 
he's going to be a tough guy to replace. You know, Tony, the new guy that they brought in uh, from Pitt, he had a good game the other night as they had to come back, like you said, you know, trailing by eight to Mercer at halftime. You know, and I, and I know it's early, um, but that's a concerning sign. It's definitely a red flag. Um, there's still time to get this turned around, and uh, they, they will. Uh, Mutz is a good coach, but a top-five finish in this year's SEC is no easy feat because the league is deeper than it's been in a while, uh, and there's there's any number of teams that can win, especially with the way that uh, you know a lot of these teams have reloaded with the transfer portal. So, you know, I, I think that uh, it, it is a roller coaster watching this team, and I don't know why it gets off to such slow starts. But uh, you know, if they continue to do that, they're going to lose a few games that they shouldn't, and uh, that's going to hurt them in the final standing. Auburn sort of kind of like feels like this sneaky team this year. And maybe part of that is because, you know, last year we, we sort of didn't necessarily follow them as closely down the stretch because of the postseason ban and all that. And I know that Sharif Cooper's gone, but Jabari Smith, he's getting a ton of buzz, three transfers in the starting lineup too. How do you think this year plays out for Bruce Pearl's team? Like, is this an up and down team that can sort of get hot at the right time like we saw a few years ago? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, that's always going to be the case with, uh, you know, the Bruce Pearl teams are going to let it fly from three-point range. Like, the other night they shot 31 threes, and they only made nine. Uh, so, you know, they weren't great, and they only attempted seven free throws. So, you know, they're they're going to shoot it a lot from, from deep. Um, but, uh, you know, if they can continue to, to do that well, I mean, obviously they didn't do that well against um, Moorhead State on – on Tuesday night, but, uh, you know, they've got some pot like Wendell green jr. The transfer, uh, point guard, he looks really good. Uh, you know, he had the ball in his hands a lot and he led the team with 19 points. You know, you have Katie Johnson, the guy from Georgia, uh, who Georgia fans loved last year. And, uh, now probably not so much after he transferred to their rival, but, uh, you know, he, he, he looked good. You know, there's a lot of talent on this team. Jabari Smith only had eight points, but, uh, you know, he also had six rebounds and, uh, you know, three steals. So, you know, and Walker Kessler got off to a slow start. I mean, 0 for 4 from 3, you know, he's not going to do that too often. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of potential with this team. Uh, I had them second in my preseason power rankings, which might be a little high, but, uh, you know, I I just, I really like this group of talent. Uh, It's a deep team, uh, and it's going to get even deeper when uh, Alan Flanagan comes back, and I think he might be able to be back by the start of conference play. So, uh, you know, that would be a huge boost for this team. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep an eye on how these guys, how these guys look uh, moving forward, because I, I really think that uh, there's a lot of depth. There's a lot of talent on this team. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see sort of how, uh, how Bruce Pearl sort of works the rotation moving forward. I keep forgetting that Will Wade is still under investigation. I just sort of space on it. We, we just still don't have a resolution on that whole deal yet. Is that ever going to happen, or is this just going to kind of fade off into the abyss? It needs to do something. Like at some point, you either have to, you know, punish him for something, or you've got to stop talking to him. Like the 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 fact that they're still like in like interviewing him and investigating him after all these years, it's like either there's something there or there isn't. So either figure out like you know just either figure out if you're going to charge him with something or stop talking to him and leave the man alone. Like, like at this point, there has to be some sort of resolution. 
And I don't even care what it is at this point. Either, you know, <laughs> ban Will Wade or leave him alone. But you can't keep talking to him every off season, like three times a month. Like, I, I don't know what they're doing. Uh, it, but, you know, I don't expect the NCAA to make the right move ever. So, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll be talking about is Will Wade finally going to get punished, you know, as we head into the 2027 college basketball season. So, <laughs> you know, I think it's just, it's just, we're just going to have to deal with it because it's going to be around for a long time, I guess. All right, let's play a little game of close here. I'm going to name a coach and you're going to pick one of the three options, extend, chill, or fire. It's essentially F, Mary kill. Um, you're looking into the crystal ball at season's end here. So you're predicting how you think these coaches are going to, to end up. We already did Tom Crean, so I'll leave him out. I guess I'll leave Will Wade out, even though that's, you know, take that for what it is. So let's let's start with Frank Martin. Extend, chill, or fire? Uh, I'd say chill with him. I, I, I do think that he's on a hot seat in South Carolina, and uh, I think it's going to be a long year for them. But, uh, you know, this comes back to some of the arguments that you make in, in football. It's like, okay, who are you going to get that's better? You know, Frank Martin led – South Carolina to the 2017 final four. Uh, you know, I realized that was a few years ago now, but, uh, you know, I think that he deserves a little more patience. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see how this year's team plays out. Cause I don't think it's going to be good, uh, but I'd chill for this year. And then if he struggles again next year, then it's a different conversation and maybe you move on from him. But uh, yeah, I'd, I'd let him finish this year and go into next year as the head coach. Mike White, extend, chill, or fire? Yeah, that depends on this year. Um, if if Florida makes a run in the NCAA tournament, if they you know make it to the semifinals at least of the SEC tournament, they make a top five finish in the league, which I think I don't have them in the top five right now. Um, so you know, there's there's a lot of things that he can do to save his job, but uh, if he doesn't do those things, I think you know you've got to you've got to pull the plug and you've got to like try to find somebody else who can bring some life into this program because, uh, you know, if, if he, you know, he did a good job, he brought in some, uh, some good talent from the portal. Um, and he has some returning talent, but if that returning talent doesn't help you win games, like we saw a couple of years ago with Carrie Blackshear, then, you know, it's like, well, what's the point of keeping the coach around at that point? So I think that this year decides it. And uh, if I had to predict, I'd say he's probably gone at the end of the year. Conzo Martin, extend chill or fire? <laughs> you know, obviously this is uh, one that uh, I have a personal bias towards, but, uh, you know, I, I think it's time to reset the Missouri program. Um, I, you know, the strategy for the Tigers and the transfer portal this offseason seem to be oh everyone's shooting threes and getting to the rim well what if we brought in a bunch of guys who shoot long two-pointers um you know they they won against central michigan in their opener but uh you know there's there's not a lot of talent on this team and uh you know Conzo supporters will tell you oh he's setting the stage for next year it's like okay but this is like year five now so you should have set the stage for this year long ago so, yeah, I just, I, the, you know, I don't think that a handful of three-star freshmen this year is going to cut it. Uh, this, 
this looks like a team that's going to finish, you know, in the bottom four of the league. Um, and so I, I think it's time to move on and try to bring in somebody who sparks a little bit of excitement uh, in the fan base. And, um, you know, I, I think that this is going to be a good defensive team again, because Martin led teams often are, but uh, the offensive sets that these teams draw up are just comically bad. So, you know, he's, he's on the hot seat heading into this year um, because his contract like finally allows him to be fired. Um, so I, I think he's gone at the end of the year fire. Two last ones for you. Ben Holland, extend, chill, or fire? I think extend. Um, I think this is going to be a good year for the Bulldogs. I They brought in last year's preseason ACC player of the year, Garrison Brooks from North Carolina. They've got DJ Jeffries from Memphis. They've got Shaquille Moore from NC State. And then uh, they've got Rocket Watts coming from uh, Michigan State once he gets healthy. Uh Tolu Smith should be back on the court soon. He's also not healthy, but uh, and then I have Iverson Molinar as my SEC Player of the Year. Um, I think he's going to be a stud this year. I think Mississippi State—they're six in my preseason preseason power rankings, but like I could see them making a run at a top four finish if everything goes according to plan there in Starkville. So I, I really like this Mississippi State team. Um, you know, we'll get our first look Wednesday night and see what it looks like. But uh, you know, I, I think I think that this is going to be a really, really dangerous team come SEC play. And uh, then in the SEC tournament, I think that they absolutely can make a run. So I like what Ben Howland did this year. Um, and so I would extend him for sure. Last one for you. Interesting one. Rick Barnes, extend Schiller Fire. Yeah, again, I mean, in the first half of the – of the first half, so the first 10 minutes of the opener against UT Martin, you know, Tennessee was losing. Um, this is a team that's had consistency issues. Uh, you know, they, 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 in their last 13 games last year in regular season play, they went seven and six and didn't win more than two in a row and didn't lose more than two in a row. So it's, it's just really inexplicable the way that, you know, Barnes gets this talent and then, uh, you know, just, can't get it to play consistently together um and this year's team is obviously a lot different you do have some returning guys like victor bailey jr john fulkerson who wasn't playing uh last night uh you've got you know santiago vescovi back you've got josiah jordan james um but then you know you've got some key pieces uh, like brandon uh huntley hartfield and or Hatfield and uh and Kennedy Chandler, two five star freshmen. Uh, you know, those guys are gonna if they can play better than uh the two uh you know, Jaden Springer and uh Keon Johnson last year, and those guys were first round picks. So uh, you know, if those guys can, if uh, this year's crop of five star freshmen can be even better and I really like watching uh, I really like watching Kennedy Chandler play. He he was everything advertised and more the other night. Uh, so, you know, I think that this team, you take a wait-and-see approach. If they get to SEC play and uh, and they're back and forth and uh, inconsistent again and don't live up to their potential, then uh, then maybe we start to have the conversation about Barnes being on the hot seat. But for now, I'd say uh, probably chill. 
Adam, great stuff, man. You're the best. Everybody go read Starting Five. Follow at uh, SDS Basketball on Twitter. Read Saturday Football Newsletter. Like everything, everything that you, you put together, everybody should go check out. And uh, yeah, we'll do this again real soon, man. Yeah, sounds good. All right. Appreciate Adam and Joseph for joining us. If you have not yet, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to this podcast. Go subscribe to our newsletter. Go subscribe to College Football Uncensored and Saturday Lives Forever wherever you get your podcast. Join the Facebook group, Hear Your Name Read On Air with Figuring It Out or Bold and Brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.